0: Father, you said, O Lord, upon this rock I will build my church, upon the rock of revelation, upon the rock of who you are. This morning, Father, reveal yourself to us, O Lord, a little more from the scriptures, O Lord, wash us by the water of your word. Enable us, Lord Jesus, to, to understand your ways, show us your paths, teach us your ways, to show us your paths, and lead us into the way of everlasting life. Thank you, Father. Commit all of us into your hands, O oh Lord. Be the blood of Jesus over our lives. Anoint us afresh this morning to hear and to speak and to obey. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Yes, we'll be looking at uh, the life of Moses. So we last yesterday we looked at the first forty years of his life, and and not much has spoken about his second forty years. Uh, but we will look at that as well this morning. But uh, uh, before uh, we go into the study, let's look at Romans chapter ten, and let's read verse thirteen. Onwards, 13 to 15. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in whom, in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And verse 15, and how shall they preach unless they are Sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So, this morning we will be studying about the anatomy of being sent. Okay, what does it mean to be sent? Yeah, that is essentially where we are uh, looking. We've been looking at uh, um, even the ministry of um, of uh, Eliezer. That he sent. Um, yesterday we looked at Acts chapter thirteen, if you will. You can turn there, uh, verses one and two, if you will. Acts chapter thirteen, verses one and two. Now, in the ch- in the church that was at Antioch, there were uh, certain prophets and teachers: Banabas, Simeon, uh, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, and they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy And the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Paul and Barnabas, Saul, Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Okay, we can see that Paul and Barnabas are there in the church. And uh, even though Saul uh, was called by God to be an apostle, But he had to be, before he was sent into the mission field, he had to be at the church, he had to be under authority, under leadership, um, and be tested and tried. And we don't know uh, what all he had to go through uh, in order for him to be sent. So there is a process, process of of uh, humbling, of being crushed. And God takes us through that process. To be a part of the body of Christ, and then they lay hands on him and they sent him. All right. So, what is the anatomy of being sent? Uh, we look at that. We will look at um, one person uh, who was sent by God, and what is what does it mean to be sent? Of course, we've been looking at the broad picture of of uh, how it how was uh, Moses called. Faithful in God, in all of God's house, a faithful servant, and this was one of the aspects of uh, him um, that he was tried and tested by God, and he was he was uh, trusted by God to be found faithful. Yeah, to be faithful in the ministry that he's going to be uh, a part of. So we'll f- uh, meet him in Exodus chapter two, verse eleven um, onwards. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brother and, and looked at their burdens. Okay, uh, They were really being burdened and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brothers. So he looked this way and that way and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. That was his ministry. Okay, If the ministry of the flesh is you will kill one Egyptian. The Ministry of the Spirit you will you will k- kill the entire army, which one do you want is a question very very straightforward small simple lesson uh so the first uh, that's that's a, that's the reason why we need to go through a process okay of being crushed by god and to to be prepared by God uh, in order to be truly instruments in his hand okay that we will completely be dead and that we will truly become a vessel that will be prepared by the ma- master for the work. Uh, of honor that he has ordained for all of us and therefore he looked here he looked there and he killed one Egyptian and he thought that his brothers is going to accept his ministry and when he went out on the second day verse 13 behold two Hebrew men that was one Egyptian and one Hebrew now two Hebrew men were fighting and he said to the one who did the wrong why are you striking your companion And then then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh. I like that, from the presence of Pharaoh. And dwelt in the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. That's where uh, he meets Madam Zipporah. Okay, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to water. Their, uh, they filled the troughs to water the father's flock. Then the shepherds came, drove them, but Moses stood up, helped them, and watered their flock. So he kind of was the knight in shining armor. He kind of, uh, you know, rescued those women. Uh, very romantic. <laughs> then when they came to rule the father, he said, his name is also Jethro. His other name is Ruel, okay? Uh, Ruel is the priest of Midian. By the way, Ruel means a friend of God, but we are not going to uh, study that today. How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherd. So his identity is still an Egyptian here, okay? Anyway, we are not going to delve too much into that. And he also drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, and where is he? Why is he that that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Then Moses was content to live with the man. And he gave Zipporah his daughter to Moses. And Moses had a son, called him Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Okay, that's where we meet. That was the next 40 years of his life. Okay. And of course, verse third, chapter 3, will talk talk about, he was, uh, after 40 years, he sees that burning bush. So, one snippet, we have only one snippet into um, Moses' life in these 40 years. Only one. We don't have much detail. You'll find that in um, Exodus chapter 4. And you'll see, um, verse 24. Only very simple, 24 onwards, okay? And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, surely you are a husband of blood to me or a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him go, that is God let him go. Then she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. So it's a lot of. Things that we can look at, but one thing is for sure: in those forty years, Sipporah was the one who was leading the home. Very obvious. Uh, Moses didn't have any say in the matter, um, and uh, and that was one of the ways of God humbling him. So um, that is just a small snippet into the forty years of his life, and before you know that, before he actually goes to Egypt to bring forth his message. To the Israelites under bondage, God seeks to kill him. Okay, Um, Telling Moses that before you can be the leader of Israel, you have to be the leader of your home first. So 40 years of his life, he was not a leader in his home. He was not leading his home. He was not leading uh, his home. He was not even having any livelihood of his own. His livelihood was taking care of uh, his father-in-law's sheep. God humbled him for 40 years but today we will look at something else we will turn to exodus chapter 3 and we will understand what is it to be sent by god so let's uh, meet moses at exodus chapter 3 and verse 5 onwards okay when moses turns aside to see uh, then he said draw do not draw near this place Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Okay. Now, by the way, to take off the sandals off your feet is a very, very, very symbolic thing. What does it mean? You're giving up the rights over your life. That is essentially what it means to be, uh, to take off your sandals. To get that idea, turn with me to Joshua chapter 5. Again, you'll find it in Joshua chapter 5 verse 15. Actually, 14 onwards. Okay, so he said, no, but but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have come and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant He's giving up all of his rights. Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off the sandals from your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. So this is essentially in a way that he's giving up all his rights. So it starts there. Okay, giving up all the rights over his life. Now he's saying, Lord, I am truly, truly available. Um, and I'm, whatever you ask me to do, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. That's exactly what happens to even Saul. When he's confronted by Jesus on the way to Damascus, he says, Lord, Lord, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And then he says, what would you want me to do? And he says, go and I will tell you. What to do So there is, that's essentially how his life starts uh, of being an apostle of Jesus Christ, the, the sent one of Jesus Christ, and in that he first gives up all the rights over his life, and that 's essentially the point where forty years of his life, God is bringing him to a point where he gives up all the rights over his life. He comes to a point where he says, "I'm no longer going to live for my will, I'm going to live for your will." Okay, John 7, 17, we know that very, very well. If anyone wills to do his will, then he will know whether my doctrine is mine or God. So he has come to a point where he can now, God can ask him. Take off your shoes, meaning um, "Give surrender your life to me now. Give your life into my hands. Okay, so let's go back to Exodus chapter 3 now, verse 5 onwards again. Um, and let's read. Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand as holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. That's exactly what happens. No? When you when When you really, really meet God in glory, you fall flat on your face you will you'll not be able to see God, okay you will hide your face, you will hide your face because um, to see uh, he it says in uh, first second first Timothy chapter six verse sixteen he dwells in the midst of unapproachable light. We looked at it in one of our studies before let's move on, okay. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And then, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egyptians, to bring them up from the land to a good land, etc. Verse 9, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have seen Also the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. Stop there, right there. First he says, if you look at this entire passage, you'll see the word sent being mentioned five times. How many times? Five times, okay. Five times the word send or sent is mentioned in that, in that, in that order, okay, in that fashion. Come now therefore I will send you to pharaoh that you may bring my people the children of israel out of egypt so the first sending is not directly to his people he is sending it to whom pharaoh okay now, therefore to be sent as a preacher of the gospel is not primarily to confront intellectual ideas no it is to confront the prince of the power of the air and the powers of darkness that's ex- essentially the reason why you need authority Okay, the preaching of the gospel liberates people from the captivity of Satan. Pharaoh is uh, a p- picture of Satan, right? Repentance is essentially a release from the clutches and the bondage, bondages of Satan. How do I know this? Turn with me to Second Timothy chapter two. And let's read from verse 24. We've seen this very well so many times, but again, once again, we'll see it. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps what God will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Why? And that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So they were under the bondages of Satan. So the first sending is said, you know what he says, I am sending you to who? To Pharaoh. That's powerful, isn't it? So that is the reason why gospel is not cleverly conjured up ideas uh, and that you have a series of logical steps uh, to confront just mere ideas. No. It is literally confronting the powers of the air, the powers of darkness. So it's not... Something which we have to take lightly. Logical arguments to convince people. No. It is spiritual warfare. It's proclaiming the truth of the kingdom of God with the authority of God. Okay. That is the reason why it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2. Just look at this. So we'll understand what uh, to be sent means. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, sorry. Chapter, chapter two verses one and two. Yeah. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses in which you once walked according to the course of this world. There was a course of this world. Maybe that's the reason why you take courses in universities. Okay. Uh, Course of this world. Course in humanities. Course in these sciences and those sciences and course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air. Okay, that is the guy who makes all these courses, okay. The one who, <laughs> okay, gets the syllabuses ready. Okay. Now, and then he says, the spirit who now works in the what of disobedience, the sons of disobedience. You are the people of disobedience, the sons of disobedience. You know what, you, what has happened? You, and then he again, again goes on to say, you can read verse 4 also, among whom you also once conducted yourself in the lusts of our flesh, Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So we are absolutely under the clutches of Satan. Therefore, primarily the gospel is to be your being sent, not just to people, but you're sent to confront the prince of the power of the air. Okay, so understand that, and to speak to him, saying, "What? Let my people." Go. That is the essence of the gospel. So he says, I am sending you to Pharaoh. So that is the reason why he understands this is not an ordinary thing. And the wrath of the Pharaoh is against him. And Satan, of course, is not our enemy. So we need authority. We need, because the the nothing in this realm, no, in the second realm and the third realm is is hidden from, is hidden. Everything is open. That is the reason why he says the sons of Sceva, when they tried to do exorcism, they said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, who are you? Meaning you should be known as a man under authority in the spiritual realm. Okay, that is the reason why he says uh, husbands have to come under the wives and, uh, sorry, wives have to come under the husbands and husbands have to come under Christ just as Christ is under God right? Otherwise, why does he say that? Because of the angels. You are a testimony, not only to the people on earth, you are also a testimony to the angelic realm, which is rebelled, and also the angelic realm, which is under the subjection of God the Father. So, we are a testimony, okay? And that's the reason why it says, the wisdom of God is being made manifest by the church To the principalities and the powers of darkness, even in the heavenly. So, so understand that. So this is, so our, to be sent, to be a sent church or ascending church, we are sending people or sending ministers of the gospel first to confront Pharaoh and say, you know what, let my people go. So the entire message of the gospel, when we preach to the people, we are primarily liberating them from the clutches of Satan. Okay? That is the reason why Paul says in 1st Corinthians chapter 2, look at what he says, verses 1 to 5. 1st Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And I, brothers, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. You see that? So it, I didn't have logical construction of ideas, nothing, 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 nothing. What did I have? Look at what? For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because on the cross, what did Jesus do? He disarmed the principalities and powers. Having obliterated the handwriting of ordinances that was contrary to us. Nailing them to the cross. And He made them into a public spectacle. Okay, so that is the reason why he's preaching the cross. That is the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to, unto us who are being saved, it is the wisdom of God and the power of God. So what did he do? I was with you in weakness, in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the of God. So, you know, Derek Prince when one of his um, one of his messages he talks about, you know, when Paul goes to Marcel and when he does apologetics with uh, the with the seventeen or nineteen? Seventeen I think, yeah. Seventeen on Marcel when he does apologetics to the whom this unknown God whom you ignorantly worship, uh, I declare to you, and it says so, when he preached about the resurrection, some believed, some mocked, and some said what we will hear about this in a at a later time. And you'll see that he had very little success over there. But when he went to Corinth, he directly came and he literally preached the gospel, not with persuasive words. Look at what he says, not with persuasive words of wisdom. So therefore he had a harvest of souls in Corinth. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom, wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So there was a demonstration. He was telling literally to the powers of the air when he preached the gospel, let My people go. Okay. So that is what we need to understand. So the, so these are not ordinary things. We have to be equipped with this, with this kind of a mindset. We are not, we are not being sent primarily to people first. We are being sent to Pharaoh first and telling him and declaring him, let my people go. It's a deliverance. Teaching is deliverance. You need to understand that. That is the reason why when Jesus was preaching, the demons were trembling. And they said, what kind of a new doctrine and what kind of a teaching is this that even demons tremble? Because when he was preaching, he was preaching with authority and he was confronting the powers of darkness there. And he was telling Satan, let my people go, release them from the clutches, uh, from your clutches and from your snare. So this is, this is essentially the, this is uh, primarily uh, the reason why we don't take these things lightly. It is warfare. Okay, understand? Good. Send. First thing, therefore, you are being sent to people. Uh, Not not sent to people. uh, Sent to confront Pharaoh. Second, let's go back to Exodus chapter uh, 3 verse 10. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people. So, you are being sent for my people, not your people. Okay, that is what you need to understand. They are not... Our people, including me, I am his one. I am I'm his, and I am being sent to his people. Okay. God calls my people. They are not fidgetes, they are gods. The whole purpose of the preaching of the gospel is to make, not my people, into my people. Right. Essentially, that's that, that's the whole thought. Okay, we were not God's people. The one now we after we have really uh, taught the gospel and we accepted the gospel, we have become His people. So we've been sent to confront Pharaoh. Second, we have been sent to His people. And the third, you see that here. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Okay, so you've been sent to Pharaoh, to confront Pharaoh. You've been sent to bring my people, and you've been sent to bring them, what? Out of Egypt and not stay in Egypt. That is the reason why the Pharaoh says, why can't you worship here? Why can't you just worship close, close to Egypt? Why do you have to go three day journey? Why can't you, why can't only your men go? no way, all of us, everyone, my people, <coughs> everyone will be brought out of Egypt. So the preaching of the gospel is not to keep people in the world, but to preach them out of the world. Any gospel which tries to keep you comfortable in the world is not the gospel. You know, when I was growing up, no, uh, I used to have... Um, Young people, when they used to invite people into, to, uh, to youth meeting. "Arey, it's okay, Rey. Come, come to the youth meeting. God is not boring. It's fun. We will have fun. <laughs> okay. We will have fun. We will have music. We will have, uh, choreo. And in that, we will have 10 minute message also. So we will, we will be having fun. All people will be like you. So th- that's how we, uh, <laughs> we used to go to, to the youth meeting and then, Once we had teaching, we really got saved. But after we got saved, we never asked those people to come back to youth meeting again. Because we knew. When the teaching starts, people will start leaving. Okay, Because we want to be made comfortable in the world. Remember, (coughs) tough teachers we don't want to bring to any youth meeting. And even if we bring a tough teacher, we'd want to give them an easy topic. So we used to have a very tough teacher. So we used to divide this topic and I said, uh, and you know, uh, this, t, uh, this person who is going to come will give us this topic of intercession. Intercessory prayer. No, think about it. First of all, these fellows are not even saved. Okay. They don't even know anything about God. What are you going to teach them about intercession? You see? You've seen that over a period of time. And you'll see that those people who never ever ever like to listen to the authentic truth and who are very comfortable in the world over a period of time, they couldn't stay. They've gone. They've gone astray now. Need to understand that. I've seen, in my own life, no? One person went into homosexual studies now. She's a, she's a, she's a activist for homosexual rights. I want to name names. This is what happens. And I know all these people. They were good people. When those days, they were nice young people who at least had some love for God. But over a period of time, they loved the world. And they liked the gospel which would would keep them in the world and would say, it's okay to be in the world, but not come out of the world. Think about this. If friendship with the world is enmity with God, hmm? if the friendship with the world is enmity with God, then how can we still Keep enjoying the world and be called my people. Right? How is it possible? First Peter chapter 2 verse 7, we looked at this sometimes, no? It's a very interesting, uh, verse, sorry, verse uh, 8 if I'm right. No, 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 hold on, hold on. First Peter chapter 2. I got it wrong here. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Uh, you were once not a people, no, no, uh, verse nine, verse nine. Yeah, his own special people, it says a peculiar people. You know, actually the word is a peculiar treasure. Okay. A people who are God's possession, that you were bought with a price, that you are his treasure. Remember the parable of uh, the guy who was seeking for the pearl of great price. Right? Two ways of looking at it. We find God and we sell everything that we have and we buy God. I mean, we not buy God. We give ourselves to God completely and we enjoy God. And God says, I have emptied myself to purchase you because I find you as my treasure. You are my treasure. I have given my everything, my only son. God so loved the world that he gave us all. When he has given Jesus, he has given all. That is the reason why he says, he who did not spare his son, but gave him for us us all. How will he not with him freely give us all things? Okay. You need to understand. So he has given us all. So when he has given us all to purchase us, and that is his own precious son, that means we are his treasure. We don't have any rights over our own life. We cannot live comfortably in Egypt. Okay. Very important. For us to understand this. That is the reason why it says in First Corinthians chapter 6. You don't have to turn there. It says, can I take the members of Christ and make it into members of a harlot? Don't you know? Because it says, if friendship with the world is what? enmity with God. You adulterers and adulteresses, right? If friendship with the world is enmity with God, can I make the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Don't you know that he was joined to the Lord is what? One spirit with him. You need to understand these. The whole purpose of preaching the gospel is to warn and exhort all those who are being saved. And who are going to be saved. To be saved from this what generation? Perverse generation. So, With many other words he exhorted them to be saved from this perverse generation. Wicked generation, evil generation, perverse generation, adulterous generation, generation of wipers. My, that is so many uh, adjectives used to describe this generation. Perverse generation means it is mixed. There is a perverse spirit. Perverse matlab what Mixture. Hmm? Evil generation. They always think, they cannot think straight. Generation of vipers. Now that which is crooked cannot be made straight. Okay. So you need to understand these, so you can, you can, you can never, you will, you will know what is the authentic gospel if it's keeping you comfortable in the world. Then it is not the authentic gospel. If it's keeping you comfortable in the world, if it's not constantly probing your heart and exposing the world inside of you. Okay. Constantly probing your heart. Constant. There's a constant probing. Hmm. So the gospel of 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 the of the cross of Jesus Christ. You know that is the reason why he says, you know, uh, through the cross of Jesus Christ, the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. You see, this is this is so important for us to understand. Okay, so so he's being sent to confront Pharaoh. It is he's being sent to bring out his people. Third, he is being sent to do what? To bring them out of Egypt. Okay, understand that. Okay, now let's go to Exodus chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Now, come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you might bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I, that I should go to Egypt, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. So, he's saying, I'm not sufficient for the task. We looked at that, sometime back, no problem. So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be the sign that I sent you. That when you have brought these people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So first, you've been sent to confront Pharaoh. Second, you've been sent to bring my my people. Third, you've been sent to bring them out of Egypt. Fourth, you've been sent to bring them out to serve who? God. That's the fourth thing. We've been We've been sent to serve not only, to free, our, free not only ourselves, also but to free those to whom we are being sent, and they will no longer serve, I mean, um, serve to, uh, they're, they're being uh, set free to serve God. So set beings, being set free to serve God has again two aspects. We have been set free to serve God and not sin. Okay, look at, let us, let us look at Romans chapter 6 now. Okay, verse 12. Understand this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Okay, you see that? Okay, so that you should obey it in its lusts. My goodness, have you seen sin as being given a person? I'm not sure if uh, KJV captures that. I don't think KJV also captures it. Okay, sin is a person. Okay, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Okay. So, who's ruling? Who was ruling in our body? Sin was ruling. Okay. And we were obeying sin, and we were enjoying its lusts. And verse 13. It says, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. So all our members, including your eyes, your ears, your tongue, your hands, your feet—those instruments. The word in uh, Greek means weapons. Okay, your ear, your eye, your tongue. See, uh, in war, ear essentially means the ability to receive. Commands from the command center. Okay, so there's a full communication network. Okay. Eyes is a guy who's able to see and understand the enemy lines and give commands to the command center, to the, uh, to the, to the people who are hearing. Okay. And then speak is to give orders. Hands and feet to obey those orders. So what we were doing, we were serving sin and we were using every faculty of our body as an instrument of sin or a weapon of sin for sin. Okay, God says turn those instruments as weapons of righteousness. How do we do that? But present yourselves to God first. Do you see that? You've been set free to, sit, not, uh, to, to, uh, to from, from slavery to sin to become a slave to God. That you say, give your members to God first. How? As being made alive from the dead. What were we? Be? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then as your members, as instruments of righteousness to God. Why? Verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are no longer under law, but under grace. Because grace has come now. The grace of God has come. The power of God has come. What, has we, what are we able to do? We are being set free from serving sin and being set free to serve God. How? By offering our instruments, our eyes, our, our nose, everything. Okay, ears, particularly ears. Okay, most important. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Alright? Again, verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are no longer under law but under grace? Certainly not. Look at what it says. Verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So therefore you have, what, what are you being set free from? You have been set free from sinning and you are being, Set free to serve God, how do you serve God? By obeying Him. You're being free to obey Him. Alright? So these are the this is the first thing that we looked at. We've been set free from sin. So first let us look at look at that. We have we have been sent to confront Pharaoh. Second, we've been sent to to bring out my people and not that is God's people and not my people. Third, we've been set, set sent to bring them. Out of the world or not to keep them comfortable in the world. Third, we've been sent to bring them out to serve God and not sin. Okay? Second part in that again is that we've been set free to serve God and not man. Okay, understand that? Okay, let us see. Man could be the recipient of your service, but we only serve God. otherwise we will compromise okay look at what it says in first corinthians chapter 7 verse 23 first corinthians chapter 7 verse 23 you were bought at a price do not become slaves of men very very important okay they might be recipient of our service But we don't serve them, we serve God. When we are serving them, we are serving God. How do I know this? Classic text which explains this. Look at this. Turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 onwards. Let's read from verse 22 onwards. Bond servants, all are included there, included there, okay? Bond servants includes primarily software engineers, lecturers, professors, all professions. Okay. Bond servants. Okay. Some people who are seers also are bond servants. They they might say, I don't have, I don't serve anybody. I serve. No, no, no. You serve somebody. uh, Because you are offering your services to as a client. Right. So ultimately you are serving somebody. So bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Okay. Not with eye service as men pleases, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. See, ultimately everything. Okay. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. You see that? Even though you are serving men here in this case, they might be the recipients of your service. But ultimately you are serving who? God. And then verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So you do not become a slave of man. You become a slave of God. You serve God and not man. Man could be the recipient of your service, but you always serve God. That is the reason why He tells. And how do we know that we serve God? We do not live for the opinions of men. Okay, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that we we are running after a bad reputation. Okay, some people have a bad reputation because they don't work well. We are not talking about that. Okay, turn with me to First Peter chapter two. You know this. We've looked at it so many so many times, but we'll look at it another time. Hmm First Peter chapter two and verse uh, eighteen onwards. Servants be submissive to your own masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For because this is commendable if because of conscience So whom are you serving ultimately? God. One endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Okay, and then, for what credit is if you are beaten for your faults and you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is, again what? Commendable before God. You see that before God, before God coming all the time? Okay, why? Verse 21, for to this you are called. My goodness, all these based upon one argument which says to this you have been called. What is my calling brothers? This one is your call. To to serve God this way. Okay. That you serve not only the good and the gentle, but also the wicked, the unjust. And we are not being beaten because of our slackness. Okay. Our lack of interest. Okay, our lack of, uh, of 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 what a commitment to whatever we being entrusted to uh, whatever is being entrusted into our hands. No, okay, we are diligent in whatever we do. Okay, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. We do we do not have to uh, go into the details of it. We understand this. So ultimately, we do not serve sin; we serve God. We do not serve man, we serve God. Why? Because we have been bought with a price. We have become his people and therefore we only serve God and not man. We do not live for the opinions of men. And Having said that, we do not also uh, 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 go out for a bad reputation. I will show you a very interesting uh, uh, verse. Turn with me to 1st Timothy chapter 3 please. 1st Timothy. Chapter 3. And verse, was 1 to 7, okay? This is called to eldership. This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, okay, he desires a good work. Bishop ka matlab, bishop overseer, not bishop in uh, Vatican, no, bishop ka matlab, overseer okay if the bishop the the Greek word means overseer or he's a shepherd hmm. he desires a good work a bishop or an overseer then must be blameless the husband of one wife temperate sober-minded good of good behavior hospitable able to teach not given to wine not violent not greedy for money but gentle not quarrelsome not covetous. One who rules his own house well. Having his children in submission with all reverence. And go on. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice. But that means he cannot, should not be a recent convert, a new convert. Lest he be puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. And Look at verse 7. Moreover, he must have a good testimony. Ah, among those who are outside, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. That means you do not leave your company because you, ha- you are a sloppy worker or a lousy worker over there. Okay, so that's what I'm saying, no? God never calls lazy people. He were, what's his name? Uh, Levi was the tax collector, tax collector Matthew, was at the customs when he was called. All the disciples were working hard at their nets when they were called, okay, so you have a testimony of those people who are outside as a good worker as a diligent worker. you've been reproached because of your faith and not of not for any other thing. People call you all kinds of names, not because of uh the way that you work, but it is because of the way that you stand for God and you have an uncompromising attitude towards sin. understand that so so you don't serve man. But you serve God. So if you serve this way. Ensuring that. Your testimony is not messed up. At your workplace. Okay. Then you serve. God. And not. Man. Understand that? So that is the reason why it says in Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. For do I now persuade men. Or God. Hmm. Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. What a statement that is. In other translations it says, I should not be a bond servant of Christ. That means I should just resign from the position and leave. Basically. Got it? So, First, first, let us, let us review it. You've been sent to confront Pharaoh. You've been sent to bring out his people, not our people. That is the reason why in Acts chapter 20, Paul says, right from among you, savage wolves will come, not sparing the flock. And what will they do? They will draw people and disciples after them. You know, instead of becoming God's people, they are becoming their people. Okay. Ultimately, that is the reason why Paul hates, no? Some people say, I am of KFAS, some people say, Paul, I am of Christ and Apollos. Christ is divided? Why are there so many factions among you? Okay. We are all people who are serving God and we, our whole purpose is to bring you to Christ and not to bring you to ourselves. Yes, follow us even as we follow Christ, but ultimately we are a people who are leading us you to, leading you to Christ, okay? So whatever is there inside of me, inside of my life, which you think that is Helping you to follow Christ, yes, you're well. You should follow. You should have that. Otherwise, um, you're not here to make disciples of us. You are here to make disciples of God. That is the reason why it says, "Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father." That means what? Are, you're not making them disciples of yourself. You're making them disciples, making them my disciples. Okay, so we have bring them out of Egypt, bring bring out my people, and how do you, what do you do? Uh, sorry, uh, confront Pharaoh, bring bring out my people, don't put them in Egypt, bring them out of Egypt. Fourth thing, bring them out to serve me, not man, serve me and not sin. F- fifth one, let's go back to Exodus chapter uh, 3, verse 10 and 11 now. Together we can see that. So, but most, uh, yeah, verse 10, uh, verse 10 and 11, uh, where it says, hold on. Verse 11. Yeah. Verse 12. Sorry, verse 12. So he said, I will certainly be with you and this will be the sign that I have sent you. When you have brought this people out of Egypt, you shall serve God. Where? On this mountain. Okay. So, so, bring them out to serve God and not man and not sin. To serve God on this mountain. What does this mountain stand for? What mountain is he talking about? Mount Horeb. What what was there in Mount Horeb? What was given? The law was given. Okay. So, you are brought out to serve God in the ways of God. Understand this? Therefore, mountain of God represents the teaching, the giving of the law, the way we serve God, and of course, here in this case, we are not, we don't go to Mount Sinai, we go to Mount Jerusalem, or Mount Zion, right? The teaching is not no longer the teaching of the law, it is a teaching of the new covenant, okay? So that is the reason why Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 will say, we'll read that, verse 22 and 23. 22 is enough. Let us draw 12, 12 not 10, verse chapter 12 of Hebrews. Where? But you have come to Mount Zion. To the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. Not just earthly Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. Actually Galatians will talk about this actually. He compares Hagar and Sarah. Hagar stands for Mount uh, Mount uh, Sinai and Sarah stands for Jerusalem. Okay, Jerusalem which is from above. Okay, Ishmael stands for people of the flesh, and Isaac stands for the people of the spirit who are born of the spirit. But we are not going to go there today. Okay. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Angels means messengers. And what does those messengers do? They, I mean this place is called the place called is called the heavenly Jerusalem what is heavenly jerusalem what is jerusalem you know it very well comes from two words yara and shalem yara means teaching shalem means peace a teaching of peace now yara has got several other synonyms too yara means first teach okay so it is a teach to be taught the taught the teaching of peace okay that's the first thing to instruct to be instructed in the way of peace. Then, to shoot arrows. That is what also means. Yara means. So what do we do? We are taught to shoot arrows of peace. Okay, To pray for others. And then, it also means to become archers. What Yara means also to become an archer. Aram, archer means a guy who is trained to shoot arrows precisely. Not just here and there. That is the reason why you should become a slack um, um, uh, slothfulness, right? It's what, in Proverbs talks about slothfulness. Okay, go to the anti-sluggard. Okay, consider her ways and be wise. A slothful man. The word for slothfulness is a man, the, 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 the Hebrew connotation is the guy who's got a bow and an arrow and his string is not having the right tension. Okay, so because he doesn't have the right tension, when he shoot, instead of hitting the mark, it goes away from the mark. Okay, that is slackness, that is slothfulness. So you should not be slothful in business. So what does he? What does what does Yara mean to teach them to become? What kind of archers? Trained archers who will shoot precisely. Hmm, that's what it means. And then again, to cast down, Yara means. So what? Do, what? Do, what? What does Jerusalem means? It teaches you to cast down every argument and every imagination which is contrary to the teaching of peace. That's what it means. Or which opposes peace. Then, to rain and to water. That's all. Yara also means to rain and to water. So what, does, what do we do? By the washing of water by the word, we cleanse you and we wash you and to make you a bride without spot, without wrinkle or without blemish. That's what yara means. And then finally, yara means also to be made a teacher. That is the reason why Paul says, by this time you ought to be teachers. (laughs) But you still are like babes because I cannot, I'm still are going back to the elementary doctrines. And he tells in 1st Corinthians chapter 3, he says, I could not speak to you as spiritual, but as to carnal, as to babes. And I could only feed you with milk and not solid meat. You know why? Because there was envy, there was strife, there was divisions among you. So I could not teach you. Therefore, Jerusalem does not just make you, does not also teach you. It also teaches you to become a teacher. understand that. Teacher means a person who will be able to lead others. Essentially. Not just to, uh, just to be, uh, people who are preachers. If you're a, if you're a man in your home, you're called to be the person who will instruct your family in the ways of God. That's the reason why it says in Ephesians chapter 6, bring up your children in the training and the admonition of the Lord. And then he says, Jerusalem is a, is a, is a mountain where the spirits of just men are made perfect. Okay, so if this is a place where you are taught, where, you know, spirits of just love, we have been justified by faith. And we just don't, no longer stay there, we have been constantly exhorted to maturity. Okay. Why? Because verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 12 will say, why? Because we have a mediator of the new covenant. What's his, what's his name? Jesus. Okay, what does the word Jesus mean? His name is Jesus because he is going to save his people from not only their penalty of their sins but from the power of their sins. How is he going to do that? Through the new covenant. What is this new covenant? Not written on tables of stone. Turn with me to First Corinthians chapter 3. Sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Mm-hmm. Okay. And verse seven. Oh, sorry, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, chapter three, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, verse, uh, verses uh, six, six onwards, six and seven, yeah. Yeah, uh, who has also made sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, of but of the spirit, for the spirit kills. Sorry, for the letter kills, and the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of uh, death written on engraving was glorious, uh, where it says not written on, yeah, verse three. Sorry, verse three, verse three. Okay, and clearly you are an epistle of Christ. Isn't it amazing? What does the new covenant make you? You, you, it's not that you will write epistles, you will become an epistle. That is the reason why he says, we are God's workmanship. God's workmanship. What does the word workmanship mean? We are God's poem. He is writing a poem. Our life becomes a, spo- a, a poem. So he says... Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on the tablets of stone, but on the tablets of flesh, that is on the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God about you. That's what he's saying. Okay, so that is what mountains of God signifies. So what? So, you first, the gospel, you're being sent to confront Pharaoh. Second you've been confront, you've been confronted uh, you're confronting pharaoh to bring out my people, not your people third, to bring them out of egypt, not to keep them in egypt. fourth, to bring them to serve God and not sin and not man, and fourth, how do you do it by bringing them to a mountain so that they can be taught. so what does it do was chapter seven of Romans chapter seven of Romans and verse six. Chapter 7 of Romans, verse 6. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should what? Serve. So we serve God. How? In the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Why? For the letter skills, but the Spirit brings life. In the newness. We serve God. But how? In the newness of the Spirit. We serve in the Spirit. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Perfect example is Apostle Paul himself. Romans chapter 1. Verse 8 and 9. And we can read from verse 8 and 9 onwards. Okay, First I thank God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world okay verse 9 for God is my witness whom I serve how with my spirit isn't it amazing he doesn't serve in his with his mind he doesn't serve within his, with his flesh though he uses his mind though he uses his strength but primarily service to God is service in the spirit worship to God is worship in the spirit and in truth. So for for God is my witness whom I serve in the spirit in my spirit with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Okay. Well and you can see that we can go on. Verse nine, 10 and 11. Making requisite by some means now at last I may fa- find a way in the will of God to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart what? Some not just gift, spiritual gift to you, so that I may Establish you or build you up. That is what service means. Uh yeah. Uh, turn with me to first Corinthians please. First Corinthians chapter fourteen. Forgot to get my bible. Sammy, just can you give me my Bible there? So the. Turn to 1st Corinthians, please. And verse, chapter 14 of 1st Corinthians. And verse, chapter 14 of 1st Corinthians. And, chap, and chapter, uh, and verse number uh, 3. Okay. But he who prophesies, okay, or teaches, speaks three things. Edification exhortation and comfort three things okay so you need so i am sending you something in the spirit i'm speaking in the spirit i'm serving in the spirit so that i can build you up i can edify you so i don't only really, i not only edify you that that means i build you up i also exhort you and i also comfort you so a lot of people will need edification in our teaching they should get edified a lot of people will need exhortation meaning come on Okay, come on, meaning don't slacken off, stay on narrow path. Don't get this, uh, don't, uh, yeah, you're, you're doing great, you're doing well, but continue doing well. That is exhortation. Don't just slacken off at any time, any time. And a lot of people will need comfort. Okay, so we need all these three things. You should have to speak edification, we speak exhortation, and we also speak comfort into people's lives. Wherever that is needed. And all these ingredients have to be there in the teaching. And that is the reason why bring them to God on the mountain. And that is the reason it's a mountain. Why is it a mountain? Because it is not easy. To raise up in the spirit, you have to cut away flesh. It is a upward walk towards God. That is the reason why the spirit and the bride say, Come up, come up and be there. God said to Moses, for how many days six days how be in silence be in that smokes when when all the vestige of your flesh is gone and after six days you should continue to be there for 40 days and 40 nights so that you can receive from god a lot of people will not have that kind of a patience but ultimate is that you edify them how do you build them up asking them to come up come up to god Build yourself up, exhorting them. And when people need comfort, you comfort them too. How do you comfort them? You stand beside them. That is what the word comforter means. Parakletos. Para means to come alongside and stay. Okay. Okay. That is it. Why? Otherwise, Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. It says, my people are destroyed for lack of what? Knowledge. And because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you from being what to me? A priest to me. And what are priests supposed to do? We are, what, what, what are we called? We called royal priest. And what are priests supposed to do? Turn to Malachi. Exactly, you turn to Malachi chapter 2, chapter 2, Malachi. And chapter 2, yes I know. Uh, just give me a minute, I will show you what priests are supposed to do. Verse 5 and 6. And this is talking to the Levites or to the priests. My covenant was with them, one of life and peace. And I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and I was reverent before my name. And then was the law of truth was supposed to be in your mouth. And injustice was not supposed to be found in your lips. He walked with me in peace and equity. And he turned many away from equity, otherwise you'll perish. See another verse. I, I want to show you a very powerful verse. You know Proverbs chapter uh, chapter um, twenty nine and verse eighteen. We'll look at it in different different translations. NKJV is, uh yeah. uh yeah. Which is NKJV? Oh, fantastic. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Okay. So, to serve God, if you, if there's no restraints over your life, what is the purpose of revelation? To ensure that there are, we are restrained from doing the things that our flesh wants to do. That is the reason why it's a mountain. Understood that? Everybody? So we are sent to bring them to serve God on the mountain. Okay, Romans chapter six verse seventeen. Romans chapter six verse seventeen onwards. That is what teaching does. But God be thanked that though you were slaves slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. You see the next one to which. You were delivered. I mean I handed you over to doctrine. That's what ha- that's what should happen. What should happen to us is that we should hand ourselves over. Isn't it amazing? He says, that fellow who does not uh, uh um in for first Corinthians chapter five, you don't have to turn there. Paul says, hand him over to Satan, deliver him over to Satan. Here he says, I I have handed you over to teaching. That's what should that's what should uh, should happen to us. We should deliver ourselves to teaching. We should come under teaching. It's a very very important um, aspect of Christian life. Okay, because teaching is the one which will deliver us continuously and constantly. Why? The next very next verse will say, "To which you have been delivered to." Not. I have delivered to you, you have to deliver yourself to teaching. You have to come and say, Lord, I surrender myself to this teaching. Okay, that is what it means to be coming under teaching. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Okay, and let's go on. This is very powerful. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness. And on of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. How do you do that? By handing yourself over to teaching. Exactly. Why? Remember verse twenty. For when you were slaves of sin, you are free in regard to righteousness. You know, (laughs) very fruit. What fruit did you have in the things of which you are now ashamed of? Are you not ashamed of those things that you have done in the past? Absolutely. Sometimes you know people ask us, "No, what is your testimony, brother? Can you uh, can you tell your testimony?" Not very. (laughs) It's actually a lot of shame there. Nothing pleasant. Yes, I was a sinner, worse sinner. All kinds of sins I did. Thank God, He saved me. You don't want to know the details, unless and until I have to give you the details in a very particular setting to encourage people. Otherwise, it's not. I don't have to be proud of my past. For the end of those things is dead. But now having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of God. You have fruit of holiness. And the end is what? Everlasting life. You see that that is the reason why coming to God and coming to mountain is so, so, so important. Okay. You understand? I remember this place, no? where, Where Paul goes and he's teaching. I think it's in Lystra. And he's teaching. After he teaches, after he preaches the gospel, there's a man who looks at him. And then Paul looks at him intently and he sees that he's got faith to be healed. How did he get that faith? Because he preached first. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And because he handed himself over to the teaching, Paul immediately looked at them and he said, this guy has got faith to be healed. And he said, in the name of Jesus rise. That's what teaching does. That's what happens to even Jesus, right? Jesus goes to the synagogue and he's teaching. And after he teaches, there's a person in that congregation who's been with the spirit of inter- infirmity bent over for how many years? For 18 years. And he looks at her and he says, woman, thou art, thou art loosed from your infirmity. And he makes her straight. That's what teaching does. All the bent backs become straight. Okay? And I remember, no? I had a friend called Savio Bent. My master used to tell him, so you have bent, I will make you straight. Okay? That's exactly what teaching does. When you hand yourself, really, no? You hand yourself over to some teachers. Okay? What will I do? Acha kar That's what teaching does, no? Tu pura teda tha, abhi tu ho To become Straight. To become absolutely straightforward. That is the reason why Paul, uh, Ecclesiastes, that that which is crooked cannot be made straight. But the teaching can do it. That's the whole idea. The teaching of the word of God. If you hand yourselves over to the teaching, you have to deliver. You have been delivered over to teaching, it says. And you become set free from sin and you become slaves of God. And what is it producing? A fruit of holiness which leads to Eternal life. What is fruit of holiness? Increased separation. You have been brought out more and more. From the patterns of thinking of the way the world thinks. The value systems of the world. The priorities of this world. And we have been brought out to serve God. Completely and thoroughly. Alright. My righteous shall live by faith. But faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. And therefore the people gathered. Daily for the apostles doctrine, the breaking of bread, for for, for, for fellowship, for breaking of bread and for prayer. And what happened as a result? Great fear came upon all the people. That is the new covenant. That is where God is calling to. That is what gospel has to do. What should it do? It has to confront Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Who's my people? God's people, not your people. And these are God's people you need to understand. These are God's peculiar treasure. That is the reason why if you turn with me to Acts chapter 20, this is so powerful. Turn to Acts chapter 20. I, I'll, why, why is this so important? Because it has to, um, uh, give us a lot of tension also as teachers of the Word of God and future teachers of the Word of God. Turn to Acts chapter 20 and let's read from verse Verse 27 and 28. Let's read from verse 26 onwards. 25 onwards. 25 onwards. 25 onwards. Acts 25. And now indeed I know that you all, uh, now, uh, and and indeed now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. And go on. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God or the teaching of God. Therefore, verse 28, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. So whose are they? They are his. Understand that, that is the reason why he says, Paul tells Timothy, watch your life and watch your doctrine, for by doing so consistently, you will not only save yourselves, but you will save those who will hear you, because they are not yours, they are God's, and you are also not yours, you are God's. Understand that. Another, 1st Peter chapter 5, Peter chapter 5, so many verses I can show you, verse 1 onwards. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I whom who am a fellow a fellow elder in the witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. What should I do? Shepherd. Like I like, love that. Shepherd the flock of God. What should I do? Shepherd the flock of God, not my flock, which is among you. Don't shepherd somebody else's flock. Lot of preachers are shepherding somebody else's flock. And some, if somebody else's flock comes over here, they say, you are stealing my flock. You are not taking care of them. Sheep stealing, they will say. You are not stealing anybody's sheep. What do sheep need? Grass. And what are you giving them? Not even anything which is going to sustain them. You don't feed them. See, this is so important for us to understand. I'll turn, turn you to turn you to before we go this to go this or not. Turn to S- Psalm seventy-eight. I'll, you know, that is something which I really, really, really mm, wanted to be true in my life. Okay, seventy-eight of Psalms and the last two verses. Actually, it was seventy onwards. Seventy-eight, seventy onwards. He also chose David as servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. Okay, it's like literally Issachar uh, among two sheepfolds, no? From following the ooze which that had the young, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people. And in Israel, his, his inheritance, how, how did he do it? So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the boy, skillfulness of his hands. That is what he's supposed to do. This is exactly what the sh- uh, shepherd has to do. He has to feed the flock. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Show this, this was again, NLT only, okay? This time NLT. Ecclesiastes. Chapter not, chapter 9, chapter 12. Chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. Verse 9 onwards. Okay, NLT, New Living Translation. Because the teacher was wise. He taught the people everything he knew. He collected proverbs and classified them. I like that. This is what we call as carefully dividing the word of truth. He classified them. Because the teacher was wise, he taught the people. That is the reason why Paul says, I want people with what? With? First Colossians, Colossians chapter 1 verse 28. <laughs> Colossians chapter 1 verse 28. Before we come back here in NLT. This should be your mission statement. Him we preach. Warning every man and teaching every man. How? In all wisdom. You see that? That we may present every man perfect in Christ. And verse 29 will say, To this end also I labor. Why do we labor? Why do we work hard? Striving according to his working which works in me mightily. So that we can teach and warn every man. How? How? With all wisdom. So now go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 9. In NLT only. Hmm? Because the teacher was wise. He taught the people everything he knew. He collected proverbs and classified them. Indeed the teacher taught the plain truth. And he did so in an interesting way. Not in a boring way. Some people get bored because they are not interested in the subject. That is different. Because if people are interested in the subject, their eyes will lighten up. It's like you know, uh, Jonathan he eats some honey. Honey, what happens? Immediately his eyes eyes lighten up. Okay. Not when you drink Pepsi, but when you drink uh, honey. Okay. A lot of people's eyes lighten up when they drink Pepsi. Okay. Now, I'm not talking about that. No. He he, the, in, he he taught them in an interesting way. And then verse 11. Look at what he says. A wise teacher's word spur students to action. Kya hai? I love that. And emphasize important truths, not going through genealogy. What is this meaning and that meaning? Oh uh, Antichrist will come this time. This is the time, uh, this is 750 BC. The Jer- Jerusalem was taken up. This BC, that timelines in the Kaya monarchy. Oh, emphasis on when will this happen? When will the Antichrist come? Oh, you should see some denominations. They will have charts. About end times. Now all the charts they have to burn. Because Corona came. Because <laughs> all eschatology has gone out of the window. So they know, how do we fit Corona over here Baba? They will understand. They will, they, they, nobody is able to understand. So the wise teacher spurs students into action. How? By emphasizing important truths. You need to understand this. He has to emphasize not on Something, something which is so irrelevant. Who was Cain's wife? What will you know by knowing Cain's wife? Anyways, Cain and his uh, entire children got wiped away in the flood. Who is Cain's wife? Whom did he marry? Canada. So there will be a total research on how to, uh, who is Cain's wife now. What will happen? People will be bored to death. Because they are not being confronted by sin. And they are not being shown the holiness of God. And they are not being shown the attributes of God. They are not being shown the beauty of God. They are not being attracted to the loveliness and the grace of God. You know what is happening? They will slowly lose interest. Because you yourself have bored the congregation to death. I remember when I used to go to Canada. I used to go to one church. I don't want to name the name of the church. Oh, the pastor used to get lectures. Sediments, rocks. Chemistry class thou. I'm like, what, what where am I? I'm not I already if I have to go to chemistry lab, I'm already paying school, fees in the university. Why I have to come to church. You see. Seven steps to succeed. I can call somebody to uh motivational pre, speaker to do that. Zig Zagler is enough for me. Zig Zagler? Yeah, Zig Zagler is enough. His lectures are much more spurious, much more exciting than yours. Yours is boring. Look at what he says. The wise teachers spur words, spur students to action and emphasize on important truths. The, the collected sayings of the wise are like the guidance from a shepherd. Do you see this? This is what a shepherd is supposed to do. And what is happening these days? Boring. There's no anointing, there's no spurring, there's no emphasizing on important truths. People don't get spurred to action. We listen to David Wilkerson and all. Don't we get excited? Boy. Their, their teaching might be monotonous, but there is anointing in some of the teaching. For, for example, art cads and all these people, boy, they are like, when you listen to them, you're like, your eyes literally lighten up. You you it's as if you're eating honey. Isn't it? They are not boring preachers. They are people who have the anointing of God. They are able to divide the word and put ideas and concepts together and explain to students in an interesting, logical, understandable way. Plain truths. Okay. That is what is the mountain. Okay. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 3. See how important the sending sending ministry is. Exodus chapter 3, now verse 14. Actually, we can read from verse 12 onwards. Thank you. Uh, Then God told him, I will be with you. And this will be the proof that I sent you. When you have brought Israelites out of Egypt, you will return here to worship God at this very mountain. I think this is an Oh yeah, no problem. Hmm. No problem. Uh, Verse 13 now. Then Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Okay, you sent me, but what shall I say to them? Next verse. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am sent. Me to you. Okay. This is what we call as authority. Okay, let's go to Matthew chapter 28 now. And verse 16 onwards, 17 onwards. When they saw him, they worshipped him and some doubted. (laughs) Okay, there's some people who always keep doubting after seeing the resurrected Jesus. It's okay, no problem. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, everybody say that. Uh, Not just some authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am, ah, see that. I am with you always. Okay, even to the end of the age. You know what it's saying? My presence will be with you. My very presence will be sufficient. You will have such kind of an authority and unction over your life so that when you speak, people will be arrested by your teaching. That's what we need. We need the authority and unction of the Holy Spirit over our lives. The I am of God. The name. This is talk, obviously the. He's talking about the name of God. But I am sent means I will give you the, the all the provision. You need, if you if your aim in your life, is to teach people, of first uh, to make disciples of people, not just to make converts of people. Okay. Okay, converts. It's very important, no. Uh, the strength of a church is directly proportional to the number of disciples, not the number of converts. In fact, if you have more converts and less disciples, that church is very weak. Let us say you have a 500 member congregation. I am just giving an example. And then 450 members are converts and 50 disciples. Your church is as good as 50. I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. We have processors, no? Processors. i5 processor, i7 processor, okay? What is it? Number of bits per second. No, that is number of instructions it can uh, execute in in one second is the gigahertz. But if it is 1.5 gigahertz, do you think it executes 10 to the power of uh, whatever, 16 uh, instructions per second? No. No. The effective speed is equal to the effective, the effective speed of the bus. You know that, right? The bus speed. Bus is the wires, which is connecting the processor to the, all the other. I'm just giving you a very simple you know illustration. The bus is the thing which connects the processor of the computer to all the other elements in the computer. So if your memory card is slow, the speed of your processor is equal to the speed of your memory card. Am I right, Sami? If you are, uh, so, so just because you have a very good processor, it does not mean that you have a very good computer. The computer is fast if the memory is actually fast. That is the reason flash memory. Why do you think we like, like Apple? SD memory. Right? Not the hard drive memory. <laughs> you see that, remember that? So the effectiveness of a computer is directly proportional to the effective effectiveness of the memory card. In fact, in fact, so memory is mean what disciples will retain the teaching. Okay, just giving an example. So if you if you have 50, 50 disciples in your church and four hundred and fifty member five hundred members or four hundred and fifty members are just members or recent converts, my my dear brother, your church is actually only 50 members strong. In fact, it's weak because so much of a burden has been given on to 50 people. It's a very very hard truth to accept because everybody thinks the stronger the church, the greater the number. No! Jesus had only 12 disciples. In fact, one of, one of, one of them was a devil. The son of the devil, he says, 11 is enough. With 11, he turned the world upside down. That's what he says. These are the people who are going everywhere and turning the world upside down. They have come here also. You need to understand. The strength of a church is directly proportional to the strength of the, of the number of disciples. Meaning, what does what does disciples mean? They are first disciples because they are baptized. Meaning what? They are dead to their self. You can tell them anything, they will take it. Because their flesh is dead. They will not get offended. So, Moses had uh, 600,000 men. What are the 600,000 men, Baba? What is 600,000 men? What was it? What, what, what is it? Huh? 600,000 men were supposed to be the army. In the 600,000 men were supposed to be the army of uh, Israel. How many soldiers were there? Only Two. Hundred thousand member congregation, disciples too. You know why? Because only two decided to die to the flesh will never get offended. In fact, they will be looking for correction. They will be looking, where did I go wrong? What am I doing? Am I doing? Am I on the right path or not? So that is what baptized, baptism means—that they are dead to the self. They can be confronted with; they will never get offended. they might uh, get a little upset for a while, for a while but they are on dying to themselves, and to them you can teach you know that see all those who received the gospel the message to be saved from this perverse generation who gladly received the message what what happened to them he first baptized and then he taught them the doctrine they didn't teach them doctrine for people who were not baptized They did not waste their mind, money and time and resources of people who are not interested, who are not interested in dying to their flesh. Okay. So the whole purpose of the sending ministry is saying, go and make disciples, but not all will be interested in being, being disciples. In fact, it says, all were baptized into Moses, all were baptized in the cloud, all came through the Red Sea, but with many of them, God was not pleased and they perished in the wilderness. So, so the ultimate sending is just not to send them and to bring them out to serve the mountain, but to make them into disciples. That should be the end result of the whole process of being sent. And how do you know that this, that your ministry is successful? Because they have been taught to obey some things, all things. I have commanded you. And therefore, I am with you. If you have this as your objective, you know what God says? I am who I am. I am with you. My dear brothers and sisters, this is so important for us. Question to all of us, are we disciples? Are we really living the the reality of our baptism every day? Can we be taught to obey All things? (laughs) Important. So, that is the anatomy of being sent. But still not complete, isn't it? Something else he has to do. Moses says, I can't do, I don't have anything. Okay. Exodus chapter 4 now. Let's read, go to Exodus chapter 4. First sign. Then Moses answered, "But suppose they will not believe, believe me or listen to me? To my suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you." Okay. <laughs> the Lord said to him, "What is in your hand?" He said, "A rod." Isn't it interesting? God says, "What is there with you?" Not the wisdom that I have, not the degrees that I acquired from from all my universities. University of Alexandria says, PhD. Who is Moses. Moses. Alexandria is in Egypt. Alexandria is in Egypt. But I don't know what those days, maybe it's a university of Ramses, or I don't know, or I don't know, which, which university. Because I think Euclid lived during those times, right? We'll ask, uh, we'll ask uh, Peter. Peter is also a mathematician. So, so do you, do you, they were all excellent, brainy people, okay? He says, uh, what do you have? He's not saying, he's not showing his certificates from University of, uh, Alexandria. In fact, Paul also said, I was, he studied under Gamaliel where? In Tarsus. Okay, he was there were two universities those days. There was a University of Tarsus and there was a University of Alexandria. Paul Apollos was a guy graduated from Alexandria. (laughs) And Paul was graduated from Tarsus. What these two people built the church. Mighty one was mighty in scriptures, and the other was the one who God used to write the doctrine of the church. Okay. So two people, but they didn't say, you know what, our credentials are from Tarsus and Alexandria. No. This guy was mighty in the scriptures. Who, Apollos? But here in this case, he says I'm not. I, I'm not having any credentials. They will ask me for my ordination certificate, right? Who sent you? Yeah. Remember David Wilkerson, right? In one of his messages, he's. He, I mean, like I think uh, crossing the switchblade. So those people ask him, show me your ordination certificate. Okay, that you are really, really an ardent preacher. Okay, then he has to show his uh, ordination certificate. You can't preach here, and then suddenly one police fellow comes and puts a an American flag and says, "Now you can preach." It's a free country. Okay. Anyway, that's. <laughs> look at what he says. What is what is there in your hand? He says, "Parad." Dress, mera nahi hai. Chappal mera nahi hai. Ye jo. Uh, kisko kya Sheep ko kya Bakri ya? Bakri nahi hai ya you know, uh, Sheep. <laughs> all is, all I have is in my hand is one rod. He says, that is enough. Cast it to the ground. So when he cast it to the ground, it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. And then again Jesus says, the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by its Tail, okay. You have to flee from serpents. No, uh, yesterday again we had one russell viper coming across our home. He was killed by our neighbor, the our watchman, neighboring watchman. He came and killed it. But he, I don't know whether you can catch the snake by its tail. It will bite, right? You have to catch it by the tail. Okay, fine, whatever. I don't know. I'm not an expert in snake catching. Actually, I also run like Moses. <laughs> Reach out your hand and take it by its tail, and he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, your God no that symbolizes authority over every power of darkness, so much so when he pushes the rods on the on the puts the rod on the floor. It turns into a snake. The sorcerers of the Egyptians also come and put their rods. All their power is in the rod. Whose rod? Sorcerer's rod. Not in Moses' rod has no power. Power is in God. He is God, God is not a magician. He doesn't do tricks. So what does Moses' rod do? Consumes their power first. It confronts the powers of darkness and consumes and disarms them. That's exactly what it does. So what you know what God is telling Moses? I am sending you with authority over every power of darkness. And this rod is a symbol of your authority. And they will know. Second Timothy chapter 3. Verse 5 onwards. We know this. Okay, Perilous times will come. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure. Etc. And what will they have? They will have a form of godliness. But denying its power. And from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into houses. And make captives of gullible women. Loaded down with their sins. led Led away by various lusts. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Now. As. Yanis and Yambris resisted who? Moses. So do these also resist the truth. Meaning, you know what God is telling Moses? I am giving you the authority to consume every false doctrine which opposes truth. You will be able to do it. That is the authority with which I am sending you. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning faith. Okay. All the power of the enemy. God has said, I am giving you all authority over all the power. In fact, he says in Luke's Gospel chapter chapter 10, you don't have to turn there. He says, I give you authority over snakes and scorpions. Nothing will be able to harm you or touch you. Okay, The authority to overpower every false doctrine has been given to you. And he says, you know what? You are able to do it. Uh, If you remember uh, Matthew chapter 16, you don't have have to turn there, where uh, Jesus begins to tell that I'm not going to be crucified now. And Peter comes and says, far be it from you, Lord. You know what Jesus says? Get thee behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. All the doctrines of men. The commandments of men. The fear of men. I've given you authority over all of, all of that. So we know that. Then the second sign is he puts his hand in his bosom, all his secret sins and he's cleansed now. And the third thing, he puts water of the Nile, which symbolizes worldliness, right? So many interpretations of it. I don't want to go into the details because there are so many interpretations, but I want to want, I want to focus on one thing today. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 10. To 12. This is the most important thing. 10 to 12. You know what Moses is saying, Lord, I don't have the, first of all, I don't have any qualifications and I don't even have the ability. Look at what he says. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither before <laughs> nor since you have spoken to your servant. Wow. zero banda. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes mute? The deaf, the deaf, the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? And verse 12. Look at this. Verse 12 is important. Now therefore go, I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what to say. Wow! Ultimate teacher ever. God will become your teacher. That is the reason why he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you to all truth. And when he says the anointing that is in you, he will teach you. And how does he teach you? This is the most important thing. Turn to First Corinthians chapter 2 now. This is the most important thing. If you have the ESV. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 11. Okay. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person? Actually, it was 10. Uh, yeah. Now, these things, I has not seen, your ear, ear has heard, etc. Okay. Now, these things, God has revealed to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So, also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Wow. No, isn't it amazing? No, he says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are high above the earth, my thoughts are than your thoughts, and my ways than your ways. So who can know, know the ways? Can we ascend into heaven? No, no, no. I'm going to do one thing. I'm going to give you my spirit, because a spirit is the one which comprehends the thoughts of God. What is God thinking? Who knows? spirit knows. Do you see how important the spirit is? Eliezer, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. How important Eliezer is in our life. Who knows the thoughts of God except the spirit. It's a, it's a rhetorical statement. In other words, no one knows the thoughts of God of the spirit of God. If I have to be able to communicate the thoughts of God, if I do not be, I have not been anointed with the spirit of God, it's impossible for me to communicate and teach the thoughts of God. But how do I do it? Next verse, verse 12. Now we have received not of the spirit of this world. Oh, very important. In Telugu it is laukika atma. Laukika atma, laukika atma means the spirit which permeates the world. Which drives the world. The thought process of this world. But the spirit. What does he say? Who? Ah, I like that. That is the reason why I wanted you to. Uh, who is a person. Who is from God. That we might understand the things. Oh. Revelation is free. Okay. That is the reason why freely you have received. Freely you have. You sing that. Freely, freely we have received. Freely, freely give. Go in the world, etc., etc., etc. But we don't do it any more freely these days. That we might understand the things freely given to us by God, and then look at this: How do we impart this wisdom? This is powerful. We impart this words, this in words. Okay, we have to ultimately speak. We can't speak in heavenly language, obviously. If I have to speak, if I speak to you in tongues and teach you to teach you in tongues, the whole. Thing is confusion and not exhortation and encouragement or edification. The Lord says, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. That means the Spirit Himself will give us the words which we have to use to communicate His truth. But how do you do that? Interpreting spiritual truths to those which are spiritual. That is the only way we study the Bible. You can have so many other books, my dear brothers, but the only way we study the Bible is by comparing spiritual truths with spiritual truths. So we use the Bible to interpret the Bible. So therefore the quintessential or the only principle of so-called hermeneutics Principles of biblical interpretation, as they call it, is to let the Bible interpret itself. That is the reason why we see patterns and study the patterns in the Old Covenant to understand what it is to be sent, etc., etc., etc. So what are we doing? We are comparing spiritual truths with spiritual truths and drawing out spiritual knowledge and we are using the words which the Spirit is teaching us so that we can impart spiritual wisdom. And therefore what we ask, God give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why is this important? Where there is no revelation, people, perish or lose all restraint. You know why there is absolutely no restraint in the church of the living God these days? Because there is no fresh revelation of God. Simple. So he tells Moses, I will be with your mouth. And I will teach you. So don't worry, you know, if you don't have qualifications or no qualifications, think about it now. Okay, we can all get depressed and oppressed by Paul. But look at John. Boanerges. What does Boanerges mean? Sons of thunder. Lord, command Fire to come down from heaven. He becomes the apostle of truth and he writes Revelation. It is called Revelation. And he writes one of the most awesome Gospels, which has actually been instrumental in bringing so many people to Christ. It's been one of the most powerful evangelical tools. You know that, right? Gospel of John? People read the... So many people have read the Gospel of John and got saved. So many people. He's able to write it. And what a fantastic structure he's got. He's got a 777 seven, seven structure. Who's given that? God. Wisdom taught by, not by human wisdom, but by the Spirit of God. Words given by the Spirit of God. Yes, he uses the articulation skills that we have acquired over the years, but ultimately the words which come, are coming out of my mouth, even though it is coming out of a kulti's mouth, They are not the words of men, but they are words of God. Because I'm speaking from the scriptures, not my own. So he tells Moses, I will be with you. I will teach you. I will teach you my way. I will show you my paths." Turn with me to Jeremiah, please. Jeremiah chapter 1. Verse 4 onwards. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, (laughs) before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So when did our calling come? Before the foundation of the world. It only got clearer in time, but it was ordained before time. When, whenever that was. That is remarkable. That is something which you can actually think and get crazy, go crazy and come back tomorrow again, okay? Or in the evening first, okay. Then I said, Ah Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you. You shall speak. And look at the next verse. I love the next verse. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put his hand and he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. Wow. And the next verse. You don't have to go there. Uh, Yeah, verse, verse 10. Yeah. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms. What will you do? You will use the words to pluck out. Okay. Then you will break down every false ideology. I told you, you know, it's confronting the powers of darkness. You will destroy. You will overthrow. First you will pluck up, you will break down, you will destroy, you will overthrow. Four things and then you will build and then you will plant. You see, if if God is not there with my mouth. And verse, go go to same chapter. hmm? And verse uh, 17. Verse 16 onwards. hmm? Yeah, verse 16. And I will declare my judgments against him. Through whom? Through you. For all the evil in uh, for all their evil in forsaking me, they have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the work of their own hands, but you dress yourself for work. You know in first Peter chapter one it says, Gird up the loins of your mind. Yeah. Dress yourself for work. Arise, say to them everything I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. You know what the, the word says: Do not be dis, do not be afraid of their faces, because Jeremiah had a lot of scopophobia. Have you seen people? Whenever they are writing or they are doing something, they are always seeing who's watching them. Okay, do not be afraid, and let's go on. Verse uh, verse eighteen, and I will. And I behold, I make you this day. What am I going to do? make you? A fortified city. (laughs) An iron pillar. And bronze walls. Against the whole land. And against the kings of Judah. Its officials, its priests. And the people of the land. They will fight against you. But they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. That's it. That is how this commission starts. But you know what we should do? You should be like Ezekiel. Turn with me to Ezekiel now. Why am I using all these words? Because Ezekiel, all these prophets, no, they had a touch of God over their lives. And first thing God touched them was their mouth. Chapter 3. Okay, actually first chapter 2. And verse uh, 1 onwards. And he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. And as he spoke to me, the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. See, ultimately you need the spirit. Okay. And I heard him speaking to me. And then what happened? And he said to me, son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to the nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers, they have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them. It's all sending. Okay, And you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And then, and whether they hear or refuse to hear for their rebellious house, they will know that a prophet was among you, among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, not be afraid of their words, their briars, their thorns uh, and thorns are with you and and and, and sit you on uh, make you sit on scorpions be not afraid of their words not be dismayed at their looks for they are a rebellious house and verse 7 and you shall speak my words to them whether they hear or whether they refuse for they are a rebellious house verse 8 but you son of man hear what i say to you be not rebellious like that rebellious house open your mouth and eat what i give you that's exactly what we need to do you know what God says? Open your mouth and I will fill you with good things. Start eating the word of God and start internalizing it. Eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. And verse, so, uh, verse 9 onwards. Again, beautiful. This is all. And when I looked and behold, a hand was stretched out to me and behold, a scroll of a book was given to me. And he spread it on me and it had writing on the front and the back and there was written on it words of lamentation, words of mourning and words of woe. And chapter 3 verse 1. And he said to me, son of man, eat whatever you find there. That means don't selectively take one thing (laughs) and leave the rest. No, 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 no. Eat everything. Son of man, eat whatever you find. Eat the scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. And so I opened my mouth and he gave me to eat the scroll. And what happened when he ate the scroll? And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And you'll see even John also eats it. It's honey to his mouth, but when it goes into his, it becomes a little bitter. It's okay. It has to become bitter. Hmm? All the bitterness has to be cleansed. But what is it telling to all of us? You know what he's telling? You want to be sent. Equip with the word. Eat it. Just not eat it, digest it. Uh, Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. You know this very well. What does it say? For Ezra had set his heart. Just give me a minute. Yeah. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God, first to do it, and then to teach statutes and rules in Israel. First, study the law of God. Second, do the law of God. And then third, teach the law of God. That is the anatomy of being sent. all right so this morning even as we close final thought you know we are not servants of men but servants of god so what do we do this is the final thought i want to give you 2nd timothy chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 to all of us all of us okay the word of god is honey understand that okay taste and see that the lord is good you eat it and you will enjoy it Verse 14 and 15. Remind them of these things and charge them before God and not to quarrel about words which does not, does no good, but only ruins the ears. And verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by God. That's a whole, full connotation over here. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by God, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth may god grant us grace to that end okay. may god grant us grace to that end that we will study we will read we will meditate and we will be equipped we'll eat the word first ourselves eating the word ka matlab kya hai we will hear we will obey we'll hear And obey. That's what it says, right? Simple. Who's a man who's building his uh, house on a rock? The one who hears and one who obeys. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Once you get the faith, there's an obedience which comes from faith. Okay. God is calling us to that. So this morning, even as we end, let's all pray. And we'll ask God, Lord, grant us grace, Lord. Grant us grace so that we will be a set of people who will devour your word. This time that God has given us, this is 33rd day, Dr. Richard? 33 days. Okay. 33 days. Kya bad! Just 33 days of hopefully teaching which encouraged and exhorted you to spur you to action like uh, Ecclesiastes. Okay. Hopefully it has been taught in ways which was interesting. Hopefully we have emphasized on truths which matter. Okay. So this morning let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Once again we praise you, we worship you. We give you glory, Lord. We give you honor, we give you thanks. You are a good God and your mercy endures forever. We have studied your word today, this morning, and we believe Father, that this word will become life. Life! That your people will eat it and it will not be bitter, but it will be like honey. They will just not eat the good, they will eat the whole counsel of God. The lamentations, the woe, And all the other mornings. Father grant us grace to that and we pray. And let your word become a part of us. It is because what we eat. Is what we truly are. Father we thank thank you. We praise you. We give you glory. For in Jesus name we pray. Amen.